Good evening. It is nice to be with you again. We, um, it's been a bit of a whirlwind week, not nearly as much of a whirlwind week as it has been for the Stearns. Uh, they're hoping to, uh, well, Robin is hoping to have a surgery tomorrow morning, and I uh, pray, uh, if you would pray to that end, uh, at first it looked like the surgery was going to have to be postponed six months after her chemo, but then they decided, let's get it in real quick, before and that would really make her next six months much better. So pray that that surgery does happen tomorrow. It's actually been postponed twice already, and there's been some frustration there. It was supposed to be Saturday, then today, and now tomorrow, and pray for them. They're really hurting. It's really been hard on Robin, um, and, uh, and this would really make things a lot better for them. So do be lifting them up in prayer. I know you have been. Uh, this evening, I'd like to be in Isaiah 41. If you would turn in your Bibles to Isaiah chapter 41. This uh, last couple of years, I've spent a fair amount of time in the book of Isaiah. It's been a lot of fun, and uh, I have grown in my understanding of God and who God is. A lot of times, we don't think much of God the Father. kind of sounds really bad. <laughs> we don't think much of God the Father. What I mean to say is like, Jesus. We focus more on Jesus and the New Testament truths about who Jesus is. And we should. I mean, we are New Testament saints and Jesus is the one who who died for our sins so that we could we could be forgiven and that and that the wrath of God would not uh, be placed to our account. And and so there is a point where we need to be very much uh, focused on Jesus and who Jesus is. But the whole New Testament builds off of this theology, this truth of who God is. And so many times we forget who God is, or maybe I should rephrase it this way, when we learn who God is, and when we learn about what true justice and goodness is, then we have a much greater love for Jesus and what Jesus has done for us. And so as we work through Isaiah 41, I hope, I pray, that you would have a greater understanding of who God the Father is. I pray that you would worship him anew. As we read through some of the truths here in Isaiah 41, reflect upon the greatness of God. I would contend that one of the biggest problems in American culture is that we have brought God down to our level. There is an element where God is very close to us as New Testament believers, that we are actually in Christ, that the Holy Spirit is within us. These are amazing truths, but we need to also remember who God is. We need to keep God up on the throne of our lives, and we need to understand who we are as men, as people who are created in the image of God to glorify him. So I'm going to read through Isaiah 41, and I recognize this is kind of a long text. And as we read through this, you may be scratching your head like, I don't know what the world we're reading here. You know, try to really focus in on the text and look for some of these truths about who God is. And then we will go through this, and, uh, and, and we'll go through it slowly. But let's just read the text at this time. Isaiah 41. Keep silence before me, O coastlands, and let the people renew their strength. Let them come near, then let them speak. 
Let us come near together for judgment. Who raised up one from the east? Who in righteousness called him to his feet? Who gave the nations before him and made him rule over kings? Who gave them as the dust to his sword, as driven stubble to his bow? Who, who pursued them and passed safely by the way that he had not gone with his feet? Who has performed and done it, calling the generations from the beginning? I am the Lord. I, the Lord, am the first, and with the last, I am he. Verse 5. The coastlands saw it and feared. The ends of the earth were afraid. They drew near and came. Everyone helped his neighbor and said to his brother, Be of good courage. So the craftsman encouraged the goldsmith. He who smooths with the hammer inspired him who strikes the anvil, saying, It is ready for the soldering. Then he fastened it with pegs that it might not totter. But you, Israel, are my servant, Jacob, whom I have chosen, the descendants of Abraham, my friend, you whom I have taken from the ends of the earth and called from its farthest regions and said to you, you are my servant. I have chosen you and have not cast you away. Fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. Yes, I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Behold, all those who are incensed against you shall be ashamed and disgraced. They shall be as nothing. And those who strive with you shall perish. You shall seek them and not find them. Those who contended with you, those who war against you, shall be as nothing, as a non-existent thing. For I, the Lord your God, will hold your right hand, saying to you, Fear not, I will help you. We're in verse 14. Fear not, you worm, Jacob, you men of Israel. I will help you, says the Lord. And your Redeemer, the Holy One of Israel, behold, I will make you into a new threshing sledge with sharp teeth. You shall thresh the mountains and beat them small and make the hills like chaff. You shall winnow them. The wind shall carry them away and the whirlwind shall scatter them. You shall rejoice in the Lord and glory in the Holy One of Israel. The poor and needy seek water, but there is none. Their tongues fail for thirst. I, the Lord, will hear them. I, the God of Israel, will not forsake them. I will open rivers in desolate heights and fountains in the midst of the valleys. I will make the wilderness a pool of water and the dry land springs of water. I will plant in the wilderness the cedar and acacia tree, the myrtle and the oil tree, I will set in the desert the cypress tree and the pine and the box tree together that they may see and know and consider and understand together that the hand of the Lord has done this and the Holy One of Israel has created it. 
verse 21. Present your case, says the Lord. Bring forth your strong reasons, says the king of Jacob. Let them bring forth and show us what will happen. Let them show the former things what they were, that we may consider them and know the latter end of them. Or declare to us things to come. Show the things that are to come hereafter, that we may know that you are God's. Yes, do good or do evil, that we may be dismayed and see it together. He's mocking them there. Verse 24, indeed, you are nothing and your work is nothing. He who chooses you is an abomination. I have raised up one from the north and he will come. From the rising of the sun, he will call on my name. And he shall come against princes as through mortar, as though mortar, as the potter treads clay. Who has declared from the beginning that we may know and former times that we may say he is righteous? Surely there is no one who shows. Surely there is no one who declares. Surely there is no one who hears your words. The first time I said to Zion, look, there they are. And I will give to Jerusalem the one who brings good tidings. For I looked and there was no man. I looked among them, but there was no counselor who, when I asked of them, could answer a word. Indeed, they are all nothing, worthless. Their works are nothing. Their molded images are wind and confusion. Let us pray. Lord, I thank you for your word and I thank you for your greatness and how great you are. I pray that as we work through this text that we might have eyes to see and ears to hear, that we may have a heart to know. I pray that we would put you up on the throne again of our lives. I pray that we would glory in your transcendence, your greatness, and then marvel that such a great God would stoop to, to, uh, to be with us, to live among us, and to save us. In Jesus' name, amen. Will the true God please stand up? That's what we have here. We have like a contest between the God of gods, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, and everything else. <laughs> we don't worship idols in our day, but we do. We don't worship little graven images, but we do. Our society has changed. We may not bow down to some object, but our trust, our reliance is not in the God of gods. Our trust, our reliance is in the government, is in money, is in me. That's usually where our society has placed their idols. We have all become gods into, uh, unto ourselves. We see this throughout our society. You can be the person you can be. Build up yourself and you can do it. Except you can't because you're a human. Our society has made our, we've made ourselves gods and what pitiful gods we are. As we work through this text, I pray that you might identify the true God. And as we work through this text, we're, we will see, hopefully, Six characteristics of the true God. In Isaiah 41, we have a court scene. Look at Isaiah 41 in verse 1. Keep silence before me, O coastlands, and let the people renew their strength. 
Let them come near, then let them speak. Let us come near together for judgment. Now look over in verse 21. 21. Present your case, says the Lord. The word there for present is the same word as come near back in verse 1. Bring forth your strong reasons. The word for bring forth was the same word for the other come near back in verse four, verse 1. And look at this, these strong reasons. There's this, this uh, you should underline or know all of the uses of the word strength or strong in this text. We had strength back in verse 1. Here we have strong reasons. It says the king of Jacob in verse 21. See, we have this courtroom scene. God is God. How do we know that the God whom we serve is the true God? Because of these six reasons. The first reason that we can identify the true God is because he raises up rulers. In verses 2 through 4, we have a description through rhetorical questions of the true God and that he is the one who raises up rulers. Now, this is a fascinating thing because when we think through our society, when we think through the people who are really in control, those are the people that we're afraid of. Those are the people whom we fear. But what is the God of gods, the true God? What does he do? He's the one who appoints them. He places them in those positions. In the days of Isaiah, Assyrian kings were swooping in and out of the land. Who brought those kings to power? Who brought them into the land of Israel? Who drug them through the nation or the kingdom of Judah? It was the Lord. And who will one day redeem Israel? Who will one day rebuild Jerusalem? The Lord will. The Lord will raise up a ruler. He will raise up a king. And in Isaiah 45, God names that ruler who rebuilds Jerusalem. 200 years in advance, he says, that king is Cyrus. President Trump is in the position that he is because God put him there. President Obama was the president of the United States of America for the previous eight years because God put him there. The Lord is the true God. Let's look at these verses, verses two through four. Who raised up one from the east? Okay, where did the kings come from in those days? They were coming from Assyria and Babylonia, which was in the east. Over in verse 25, which, by the way, we're going to be jumping around a little bit in the chapter because certain sections correspond to other certain sections. In verse 25, we have, I have raised up one from the north. Okay, when the kings invaded Israel, because there was a big desert here, they were always coming down from the north to invade. And where were these kings originating from? They were originating, look at verse 25, from the rising of the sun. You see that? It's the east. The sun rises in the east, okay? The sun's rising. The king is coming from the east. By whose behest? By the Lord's. The Lord is the one that's in control. So I'm back in verse 2 now. So who raised up one from the east? Who in righteousness called him to his feet? 
who gave the nations before him and made him rule over kings. You see this? This king is coming through, and he's just creaming everybody. Man, what a ruler. What an, a conqueror. What a man. This guy is just a pawn in the Lord's hands. He's doing what God wanted him to do. Verse 2 continues, who gave them, who put them as dust to his sword, as driven stubble to his bow? Who pursued them and passed safely by the way that he had not gone with his feet? The idea here is that he just rapidly conquers. He's just flying through like he's a god. He's not a god. He's appointed by the god to accomplish a task. Verse 4, who has performed and done it, calling the generations from the beginning? And the answer is here at the end of verse 4. I, the Lord, am the first. And with the last, I am he. God is the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last. He is the one true God. Okay, so what's our first characteristics of, characteristic of the true God? The true God raises up kings. The true God let, uh, is the one who allows the king to conquer. The true God is the one who is in control of rulers. This is your God, believer. Why do you fear the government? Why do you fear Whatever nonsense is going on in this world, which, by the way, there's a lot of nonsense going on in this world. I mean, goodness. They can't even, you can't even have a rally anymore without some fight or riot or whatever breaking out. Goodness gracious. Anyway, but we don't have to fear these things because our God is the one who is in control. Let's go on to the second point. We learn in verses 5 through 13 several things about our God. The, the second point of the second characteristic of a true God is that he helps. He doesn't need help. In verses 5 through 7, these pagans are making an idol. They're constructing something that seems to be an idol. Look at verse 5. The coastlands saw and feared. Oh, what, what were they scared of? Well, they saw this king coming. <laughs> <laughs> All right, this king, he's conquering through and whatever, he's scared. The ends of the earth, they were afraid. So what did they do? They drew near and came and everybody, he helped his neighbor and said to his brother, be of good courage. The word there is to be strengthened. Be strengthened. So the craftsman encouraged or strengthened. It's again, the word for strengthened. So let's read those. Be strengthened. So the craftsman strengthened the goldsmith, he who smooths with the hammer, inspired him who strikes the anvil. See, they're building this thing, and they're working together, and they're encouraging one another, and then saying, is it? It is ready for the soldiering. Then he fastened it with pegs. I love that. That's another word for strengthening. He's strengthening it with pegs so that it might not fall over. <laughs> And this is the thing they're worshiping as an idol. This is the thing that's going to save them, that's going to deliver them. Now, there's two things that we learn in this text about this idol that proves that it's not a real God. First, it needs help. 
It needs help. But the true God, does he need help? No. In fact, he helps others. Look at what we have in verse 10. Fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed. Do not be afraid, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. Exactly. You see that? You know, sometimes when you read through these prophecies, especially a text like this one, it's just kind of like, oh, I'm getting lost, you know. But once you, I, I get out my highlighters and I just start underlining stuff and I start to see these patterns and things, you know, man, there's strengthening again. You know, what needed strengthening back in five and six? Stinking idol. It's going to fall over. And they've got to strengthen it with the pegs to hold the thing down. Does the true God need strengthening? No. He does the strengthening. Do you see the contrast between those two? Will the true God please stand up? The characteristic of the true God is that he strengthens others. He doesn't need strengthening. The true God helps others. He doesn't need help. Look at his, it continues in verse 10. I will strengthen you. Yes, I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. The true God strengthens. The true God helps. Those are my second and third points. The second point is that the true God helps. He does not need help. The third point, I mean, they go together in the text here. The third point is the true God strengthens. He doesn't need strengthening. This is the theme all the way through verse 14. Through verse 14. Look at verse 13. For I, the Lord your God, will Hold your right hand. The word there is strengthen your right hand. Isn't that interesting? We had the right hand back in verse 10. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. That, that, that righteous right hand that upholds you, okay, the Lord your God is holding your right hand in verse 13. Do you see that connection? That's a source of encouragement. This is the true God. He does not need strengthening. He strengthens. And then in verse 13, continuing, saying to you, fear not, I will help you. He does not need help. He helps you. Which God are you going to serve? Which God are you going to worship? Are you going to worship the God that's an idol? Are you going to worship the God of government, the God of money, the God of sex, the God of you? We need to cast out the idols in our lives and put the King of kings, the Lord of lords, the God of gods back on the throne. He is the one whom we trust. He is the one who is something. Okay, I kind of just went through verses 5 through 13 really fast. Uh, verses 8 through 13, I want to talk a little bit about those a little bit more. In verse 8, it does say, But you, Israel, are my serpents, Jacob, whom I have chosen. The direct application of this text is not, I don't know, maybe there's some Jewish people out here, but I'm not Jewish, <laughs> is directly Israel, is directly Jacob. But just as the God of gods upholds them and strengthens them, so also the God of gods who has, has sent his son to die for you and for me, when we place our trust in him, he strengthens us. He is the one who helps us. And so these promises apply to us as well. 
In verse 9, you whom I have taken from the ends of the earth. This is interesting that God takes Israel. He brings them back to the land at the end of days. Um, the word there also is another word for strengthening. You whom I have strengthened from the ends of the earth. And called from the farthest regions. All these coastlands that are at the ends of the earth and they're all afraid. What does the God of gods, the true God do? He brings all of his servants back to himself. He draws them close and he protects them. And called from its farthest regions and said to you, you are my servant. I have chosen you. I have not cast you away. Verse 10, we worked through. Verses 11 through 12 begin a new theme in this chapter, a theme that we're going to be talking about, especially at the end. And I want to touch on it briefly here. Behold, all, verse 11, behold, all those who were incensed against you shall be ashamed and disgraced. They shall be as nothing. And just as I said, know all the strengthened words. You need to know all of the nothing words from here to the end of the chapter. They're nothing. And isn't that an interesting correspondence with who the real God is? Because the real God is something. <laughs> He's everything. But everything else, you know what it is? It's nothing. And anybody who opposes him, you know what they are? They're nothing. They shall be as nothing. And those who strive with you shall perish. Verse 12, you shall seek them and not find them. Those who contended with you, those who war against you shall be as nothing. As a non-existent thing. You know, can we get more like nothing? Can it get farther away from nothing? That's what he's trying to do there in that last line. It's like you never existed. For I, the Lord, will hold you your right hand, saying to you, fear not, I will help you. Okay, continuing into 14 through 16, we have, we have the fourth characteristic of the true God. The true God gives victory. Fear not. By the way, this, we've had several uses of fear. The people who are afraid of the ruler that's coming back in verse 5. But the Lord says in verse 10, you don't have to fear. You don't need to be dismayed. And then here in verse 14, you don't have to fear. And that's an application for us in our society as well. We have nothing to fear. What's the worst thing that we can do? Well, we can die and then the Lord will raise us up at the end of time and we rule with him in, in the kingdom. That doesn't sound so terrible. So verse 14, fear not, you worm, Jacob. It's an interesting description of Jacob. They're a worm, okay? It's just a recollection, a correspondence of who we are. We're worms, we're dirt, we're nothing, Okay, and God is the God of gods. You worm, Jacob, you men of Israel, I will help you, says the Lord, and your Redeemer, that's Jesus, the Holy One of Israel. Verse 15, behold, I will make you into a new threshing sledge with sharp teeth. You shall thresh the mountains and beat them small. When the Lord comes back and sets up his kingdom, though they are few, though they are nothing, they will conquer and the Lord will give them the victory. The enemies of the Lord will turn into, into chaff and the breeze will, wipe, will blow them away. Look at verse 16. You shall winnow them. The wind shall carry them away and the whirlwind shall scatter them. You shall rejoice in the Lord and glory in the Holy One of Israel. So we've looked at Four characteristics of the true God. First, the true God raises up kings, raises up rulers. 
The, the second description is that the true God helps. He does not need help. The third characteristic is that the true God strengthens. He doesn't need strengthening. The fourth characteristic is that the true God gives victory. The fourth, the fourth, I'm sorry, the fifth characteristic of the true God is that the true God gives sustenance. Look at verse 17. The poor and needy seek water. It's kind of a main thing in life. But there is none. Isn't that interesting? There's a whole bunch of nothingness back in verses 11 and 12. The people who are opposed to God are nothing. Now there's nothing, and we need something. There's no water. Well, what can we do? Their tongues fail for thirst. Now in this section, verses 17 through 20, particularly 19, note all of the eyes. There's a problem, but who do we trust in? We trust in the Lord, and what does he do? He provides. He gives sustenance. I, the Lord, will hear them. I, the God of Israel, will not forsake him. I will open rivers in desolate heights. I will provide water and fountains in the midst of the valleys. I will make the wilderness. Now, wilderness is not like the woods. Okay, The wilderness is like a desert. Okay, An eastern, uh, middle, um, middle eastern uh, wilderness is a desert, not so much woods. I will make the wilderness a pool of water and the dry land springs of water. The true God can provide for the ones who follow him. He gives sustenance to them. Uh, continuing in verse 19, we have all of these trees. Oh, goodness. I will plant in the wilderness the cedar and acacia tree. Well, why would you plant a tree in a desert? It's just going to die. But the God of gods, he can make the desert bloom. And he will one day, by the way. The southern Israel is all a desert. And one day it will bloom. It will be, it will be uh, an oasis. And there will be water there. I will plant in the wilderness the cedar and the acacia tree, the myrtle and the oil tree. I will set in the desert the cypress tree and the pine and the box tree together that they may see and know and consider and understand together that the hand of the Lord has done this. Will the true God stand up? The true God can do this. The true God can take a desert and make it an oasis. He can do that. I was reflecting upon the life of Jesus this week and what Jesus had. My son, he was not feeling so well yesterday. He just he had a headache, and he was just hanging out on the couch with me, and he has this little Bible story book, and so he wanted me to read it to him, and how can you say no to your son wanting to read him a book, you know, <laughs> a Bible story book? And so we sat there, and he just sat there, and I just read to him story after story of Jesus, story after story of Jesus, working through the Sermon on the Mount, the, the birds, you know, they don't know where their next food's coming, but God provides for them. Why are you concerned about where your next food is coming? The, the flowers of the field, they don't toil or spin, but God dresses them in wondrous garments more beautiful than the garments of Solomon. And to think of even the life of our Lord, he had nothing. Think about it. He had nothing. He had no place to lay his head at night. He had one garment. I was talking to a pastor friend one time, and he was like, you know, all God really has to do is 
you know, he has because I'm a follower of him. He's got to give me one one garment. But you know, God's been so good to me. I got all kinds of clothes, man. <laughs> wow, what a perspective. God's given us all of these things, but what is it? What do we really need? We don't need any of this stuff. And to think what Jesus had. I was reading through the story of the temple tax and the priests, they or I don't remember who it was, some religious leaders, Jesus and Peter needed to pay the temple tax, remember? Okay, and you know, they don't have any money. And so Jesus says, oh, just go throw your line into the river or the lake and pull out a fish and there'll be a coin in its mouth and go pay the tax. <laughs> you know, it just kind of, you know, recalibrates our minds to think that all of this stuff is nothing. It's nothing. The true God gives sustenance. He provides. He provides. And that's our fifth characteristic of the true God. The sixth characteristic of the true God is, uh, is the um, most, I would say, the most amazing one and the one that Isaiah focuses on the most through this text, and it's that he knows the future. He knows the future. Look at verse 21. We've already worked through verse 21. Present your case. Remember, this is this courtroom scene. Present your case, says the Lord. Bring forth your strong reasons. Okay, he's exhorting the other gods. Hey, let's see what you've done, all right? Says the king of Jacob, let them bring forth and show or tell us what will happen. Let them show or tell us the former things. Okay, what happened in the past that we may consider them? You know, what happened way, way, way long ago? And then that we might know the latter end of them. You know, what did you prophesy years and years and years ago that actually transpired? I want to know. We're in this courtroom scene. Will the true God please stand up? What do you got? Come on, let's bring it. What do we have here? Uh, um, verse 23 show or tell tell the things that are to come hereafter okay you know what tell me something that's going to happen in 50 years how about 100 years you know what i'll tell you something that's going to happen in 200 years that's what the true god says show the things that are to come hereafter that we may know that you are gods and i love this line yes do good or do evil that we may be dismayed and see it. You know, just do something for crying out loud. It could be good. It could be bad. You know, if you're big, if you're bad, if you're some real God, do something. But they can't do anything because they're not real gods. And the gods of this world, they cannot do anything either. You do not know the future. I don't care how great you are or what you seek to be as a person. You do not know what will happen in the future. Will the true God please stand up? Let us recalibrate who the true God is and who we are as humans. And let us worship him together. Verse 24, we get into the nothings. And there's a lot of nothing between here and the end of the chapter. Indeed, you are nothing. And your work is nothing. He who chooses you 
is an abomination. These gods are nothing. They can do nothing. They cannot help. They cannot strengthen. They cannot deliver. They cannot sustain. They are nothing. Verse 25, I have raised up one from the north. This is harking back to the beginning of our chapter. From the rising of the sun, he shall call on my name, and he shall come against princes as though mortar, as the potter treads the clay. As the potter destroys the clay, this man, he's going to conquer, and he's going to go through because I've appointed him. God is saying because I've appointed him to do that. Verse 26, who has declared from the beginning that we may know? You see what God's doing right here? He's saying, okay, I'm going to prove to you I'm the real God. I'm going to prophesy. A king is coming, and he's going to blast through all of this stuff. He is going to, he is going to conquer. And I want to just take a moment to turn over to Isaiah 45 real quick. Isaiah 44, 44, verse 27. And we're going to just read through like three verses here in Isaiah 44 and 45. We'll start at verse Isaiah 44, 28. Who says of Cyrus, he is my shepherd, and he shall perform all my pleasure? saying to Jerusalem, you shall be built. This is interesting because when Isaiah prophesied this, Jerusalem had not yet been destroyed. (laughs) And here, the true God says, Cyrus is going to build it. And to the temple, your foundation shall be laid. Thus says the Lord to his anointed, to Cyrus, whose right hand I have held. Sound familiar? It's our text. The true God can prophesy the future. And in 200 years in advance, the true God says, Cyrus, he names him by name. Liberal scholars who don't believe in God, who don't believe in the Bible, they just, they just rip this part and they just like, this can't be true. How can somebody actually know 200 years in advance the, the, the name of the guy who is going to do these things? Except the God of gods, the true God, he does know. He does know what the guy's name is. In fact, in Isaiah 45 and verse, we'll start in 5. I am the Lord, and there is no other. There is no God besides me. Do you see how this connects with our text? I will gird you, that's Cyrus, though you have not known me. Cyrus doesn't even know who the Lord is. God uses the kings of this world who don't even know him. To accomplish his will. Verse 6. That they may know from the rising of the sun. Sound like our text. To its setting that there is none besides me. I am the Lord and there is no other. Our God is the true God. And he, he knows the end from the beginning. Everything else is nothing. Let's end our text here in Isaiah 41. Let's conclude. 
Verse 26, who has declared from the beginning that we may know, and from former times that we may say he is righteous? Okay, here we go. We got a ton of these things. Surely there is no one. Okay, there's our nothing. There's nothing. There's no one who shows. There's no one who declares. There's no one who hears your words. Verse 27, the first time I said to Zion, look, there they are. And I will give to Jerusalem one who brings good tidings. I mean, this, I won't get into this. Let's keep going. Verse 28. For I looked and there's no one. There's no man. I looked among them, but there's no counselor. I love this. Okay. Do you understand? The people of this world, the gods of this world, they can't get God. He's too big for them. You know, I mean, people make these prophecies and predictions and whatever, especially in our society. People can't see 10 or 15 years in advance. They have no clue what's going on in the future. 15 years ago, who could say that Donald Trump would be the president of the United States? Insane. Nobody can prophesy this stuff. The God of gods confounds the wise. The seers, the people who are predicting the future, they have no clue. We don't know what's going to happen next year. No idea. But our God does, and we can trust him, and that is our assurance. There's no man. There's no counselor. The verse 29, indeed, they are all worthless or nothing. Their works are nothing. I'm as good as it is. I'm nothing. The idols of this world, the things that this world has to offer, they're nothing. The true God, the God of gods, he is something. He is everything. I pray that you have been encouraged this evening. I pray that you would worship him this week. Take yourself off of the throne. Put up the God of gods, the true God, back up on the throne of your life. Let us close in prayer. Lord, I thank you for this time that we have had to look at Isaiah 41. And I pray that we would reflect upon the identity of the true God. You are the true God. I, I'm nothing. The things of this world. They are nothing. Lord Jesus, you lived that life where the things of this world were truly nothing to you. You had none of them. None of it mattered. I pray that we would look at our lives and examine it in light of this truth. The things of this world are nothing, but you are everything. May we worship you, Lord. We do worship you. In Jesus' name, amen.